Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our show. On this episode, I'm honored to welcome Dijalme Garnier. Mr. Garnier is a musician, performer, composer, a multi-instrumentalist. He's known as a proficient fiddler, vocalist, guitarist. He is a teacher and has contributed numerous articles on the cultural roots of Louisiana's musical traditions. He is an author and also hosts a radio program on KRVS 88.7 FM entitled Passport to Modern Jazz. So it's an honor to welcome artist, writer, scholar, broadcaster, and ethnomusicologist, Dijalme Gagné. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Paul. It's great to finally meet you. It's a pleasure and an honor. So would you say, is there a greater purpose to your life's work? I think it centers all around my huge Creole family. It always seems to kind of do do that, and it's such a generational, multi-generational, and it's all here in South Louisiana, though we are live in various places, but it's such a huge family. I think it was like 51st cousins, and my dad's family were like 15 kids, and it was just but these these respected Creoles, and some of them, are, they're around here too, and some of that culture is, is still here, and it's surprising to see in younger people. But, you know, where they were good Catholics, they worked the community, they were in, uh, they were greatest generation, you know, Boy Scout leaders were in the Catholic church, worked at an oldest aunt who was an oblate nun. And uh, it just this uh, big South Louisiana Creole culture, black Creole culture that, uh, and then the, the family, Gagne's and Baquets, and then all these families connected to the Gagne's, like the Baquets and the Nicholas's, they're all jazz family. So, uh, and were jazz players. A lot of them went up to Chicago in 23. So it's just, it's just so many various things and then great food, good, great cooking. And they've all kind of passed away. And now it's, 66 it's like we're the older generation that are still around the you just carry on you have to you just have to carry that on i had too much respect for those guys and a couple of my uncles and my father and oh my god man these guys were uh, some sort of super beings (laughs) (laughs) did it you know so a lot of it is just that and, and to, you know, make your uncles and make your, and make your, your father and be a musician and, and have the musicians in the family, older ones from other generations, be proud of what you do and you can hold on to your name and, and they're, uh, you know, really respectful of that. Like playing the jazz fest, be 4,500 people out in front, but then, um, one time was in the 90s, I had 10 people from my family off to the left. The 4,500 people just disappear, you know, and you end up doing favorite songs. My Aunt Audrey wanted, I had to do her favorite song, and my my youngest aunt, Aunt Maggie Madeline, who's still there, we had to do Old Madeline, of course. The three other guys were 
two of them were from New York, and the third guy, Dave Egan, may he rest in peace, a great songwriter, was from Freeport. But the accordion player, Ward Lamont, who uh, really got me down here, got me working in French music uh, down, down here in a band where we worked a lot, he understood family. You know, he immediately he just did those songs and then do, didn't say like, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, and during during Lent, you know, no, we're not doing a Mardi Gras tune. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I mean, he's like, oh, no, we're, we're, not, we're not doing, you know, you don't do Mardi Gras tune during Lent. You know, and some people would do it. And it's like just all these things. And it's just. There's more roots and more ties and just more history. And it, it just, and I, the greater purpose is just to kind of serve that. And then it gets into Catholicism and a lot of it, uh, Thomas Martin and, and, you know, where your community and your family, you're here to serve that. That's that no matter what. And you do try to do that. You, you you do the best you can with what you have, you know, where I'm not, I don't have anything, a lot of money for sure. So I can't do production. I can't put on things. I can't have our, our things, but I can do the basic tenets of, you know, you're here, you serve your community and, you know, it's just the basic tenets of what used to be Catholicism and, and these Catholic philosophers or I used to talk that over with my very talented Harold Baquet, a first cousin who was a photographer at Loyola, and he, he passed away. God, he was so, so, so young, but, uh, but 10 years ago. But uh, we just discussed, <laughs> we just philosophy, Catholic philosophy, and at the same time, we were just both saints. Not at all. Not at all, but we understood stood that and doing stuff for your aunts and your cousins and your uncles and you're always like that just comes first and we weren't you know we weren't i had other cousins they did a much better job at that they did much better and my cousin kathleen and new orleans her house i don't know what she's doing right now people are worried about it because her house was always full it was always full with people and they were coming from out of town there was family there were new babies there's people from right down the block who were family and cousins and uh it, no matter what, that always pulls you back, hmm. you know, and if you don't see it and you don't understand the dynamics of it at a, at a certain age, 30, 35 or 40, uh, and especially when you start to hit 60, oh man, you just really miss the boat or you're selfish <laughs> or, or you think too much about yourself. So I guess the bigger purpose is, is really, is, is really that. So when you bring like, my show to jazz audience at public radio. That is my taste in jazz. You know, that just kind of what good, what's good and what's going on the air and what's happening for listeners. That's one thing, but my taste, what I want to hear, you know, I played standards. I like standards. I like the American songbook, but that's really not what jazz is about. And it took me years, years of doing the show to finally come to, the idea that, uh, and the concept that, that a definition for jazz, I, I just, I just wouldn't give, I just would not give it. It's going to be so incomplete and jazz can be this and jazz can be that. It just has to be very happening, kind of experimental, kind of push the, 
the the envelope a little bit. It can be straight ahead. It, it can it can be just American Songbook, but if it's recorded, you really want to do that and keep what jazz started out as, where it's always being called. You know, if it's new and it's really good, it's probably going to be called noise. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the people, and it, there's probably some success at that. But you know, people want to hear if they, if they want to hear. I do have a listener or, uh, that I see once in a while, and she really, really loves the Sun Raw. So okay, so I'll play some Sun Raw. It's hard to go through Sun Raw. It's got a lot of stuff, and then uh, all the jazz, great jazz teachers that are in the jazz, the department, music department. They're listening, so they have certain tastes, I, I know. And then pianists, there's a few jazz guys around town. And then what's up on, on uh, the Jazz Week charts or, or Downbeat? Who won at the end of the year in the Grammys and for Downbeat and stuff like that? Are they really good? Or is it just like where, you know, it might as well be Billboard or something like the old days, you know, where you're just like, well, this isn't what jazz listeners are listening to. You know, and so, but if you've got jazz stations and they're spinning this and spinning that, well, you need to, to, to kind of present that to listeners. And if it's, you know, you have to judge it too. You know, sometimes listeners are just, I don't know, they, they're, they're just safe. You know, <laughs> they're not listening to Allison Miller's Boom Tick Boom. They're not listening to, I thought I was all alone with the, uh, I was I was sure that uh, Bradford Marsalis's last film was gonna make it was gonna win, you know, for Grammy. I mean, that was just incredible jazz record for a quartet. I mean, I can't believe somebody would make a quartet album like like that. And it, it's just tried so many different different things. And the quartet has been playing a long time together, but it just is one of my favorites on saxophone. He's always breaking there. Let left, you know, left Saturday night a safe safe gig and went into jazz. And of course, he was he was working on more better blues a lot. And but he wanted to play jazz, you know, in classical music. He just didn't want to get caught up in all of that kind of thing. It just pulls you away from your gig. I I think nowadays it's a little bit easier, but back then it's kind of difficult. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult. And for the guys that can really go into jazz full time, you know, we need them. We need guys like that. You know, Wayne Shorter and, and the late John Abercrombie when he was there, you know, and, and you know, not just great jazz players, but they they really have a hard time making, making a, a, a living or they're so good, you know, they get into New York market or L.A. or wherever they're at. And they get called for so many other sessions that they just start making money and jazz gigs kind of, they just don't have as much time. That's it. You just don't have as much time for it. So, but it's hmm. got to be promoted. It's just, it's, you know, you might even have better words. It's like our, one of our few art forms, Yeah, you know, that was really created here that out of almost nothing. And then the roots in, in Louisiana, and then uh, the roots, like my uncle Herman was saying, well, you know, in, in Louisiana, he he saw how jazz came about. You know, he heard marching bands, which I had a great grandfather who was in, and then uh, to, to small combos where it went to five piece, and it's not really swinging; it's just that two beat jazz. 
And then in the, and there's no improvisation. And then when it comes into the twenties, he said, he started hearing, there's a little improvisation going on, on particular songs. And then Ellington, and of course, Ellington's band would go down to New Orleans and they would stay, you know, Seventh Ward, really, you know, a lot of them. I mean, there were no hotels, so, I mean, they had to stay there. So people knew that and knew that new sound and they would bring it into the Dookie Chase band that he was part of Bebop when that came through. And then big bands and, and Bebop and Free and Fusion and Bop and Hard Bop and Post Bop. And uh, all of it came in, and it's all of it in New Orleans somewhere in some band. You know, it's not the, uh, it'd be, at least be at, at uh, you know, you know, you hear, you just hear, hear a lot of, it, you know, it, it's, it's here and it's part of my family too. So it's, uh, I don't know how, I just, just talk about it. And, and it is a, it is, uh, or some of the best, you know, some of the best in particular is a black art like Art Blakey and Miles Davis. And then, uh, you know, the idea that it could be, that it was pretty much from South Louisiana and Creole and the way it got started. You have a French and you, you have these uh, black Creoles that, well, everybody speaks for only French, really. So that they're studying in France and in good universities there and learning harmony and theory and, and being composers and conductors and learning learning all of that. It really kind of does come down and then you have these you know it just sets up something in the community where where uh we do like change i think we <laughs> i think we think a lot of times this all came from us but not really you know a lot of things that we think are really cool and very black and stuff like that are just simply african you know gumbo is from senegal some of the theory and harmony existed in classical music and that's where they grab a lot of things from so just a huge knowledge that you need that i always thought the jazz producers and djs that i listened to they were aware of and they had played and or they were club owner like rob howard rumsey in la where he had played bass and and uh chuck niles and you have to know a little bit of it. Just being a fan is not quite if, if somebody wants to break something down to you harmonically or or they're talking multiple rhythms or something. I mean, you can you you can talk or you can see it in a text in, in a music text. You know the combinations of it, and it just yeah, it it makes it complicated. But at the same time, it's kind of simple. And then its history is it's always kind of tumultuous and change. It's always about change. And I think if it lays into something. Like I thought it was going to lay into hip hop and we were going to be having just jazz from hip hop. And I was finally accepting that. And then all of a sudden, these kids under 30, like Cecile McLaurin Salvant with a acoustic piano trio, they're just doing American songbook and show tunes, but just breaking them down. Some of them are uh, standards are 11 minutes long. And Aaron Deal is at the piano and they just, experiment she's coming out with i i think it's with um something's coming out at the end of the year where because she's always been writing these song short songs and they always have singers like that they always have training they they sung plenty of opera 
you know, and they went to school and she studied in France and she's actually a Creole from Miami. One of her parents is Asian and the other one is French. So she studied there, but she's a great jazz singer and her blues is incredible, you know, and then the French songs she drafts, they're just so progressive. They're just, I don't know where she gets these songwriters from, but she just, she's just happy. Jesus really have the whole band is they part of that change, but then um, there's some other young people, and they're all part of that change too. So it's something to watch. It just doesn't sit around and get jazz does not sit around and say, "All right, we got this great formula. It's working. You know, everybody's making plenty of money. Right? Let's go." It doesn't. It's like, well, this is getting musically stagnant for me. Let's, you know, what are we gonna do? So, well, let's just play this standard. And in the middle, we'll just turn it into a free tune. <laughs> and very few people could. John Abercrombie was doing that. You know, how do you do that? Or I don't even understand. I haven't done that. Very little have I ever done that. And that whole concept, you know, because it's real strict. You play the song and you get very complicated with it, but you still stick to form and you still stick to the changes, but you can put other changes on top of those changes. And, you know, it just gets very the jazz could be just very so complicated and then big band what we think what people think of as big bands whoa man big bands are very progressive very progressive the charts and your rangers are known by jazz players and really respected they're heavy duty and and they get good and they all have to have academic uh gigs somehow or else they can't they they can't uh live so you know they got north texas state or they'll be in miami or they'll be at these great great schools or in new orleans you know just just great schools and great music schools and the people running the jazz big band or jazz program or, or uh the arrangers are uh, they're always good even at ul here the guy's great incredible you know and uh, they can do concert band stuff but he can write, he knows arrangers and he can give you some great arrangers, great arrangers. You know, I've learned, I've learned a lot from, from them. And I'm always kind of, kind of scared playing, playing arrangers because I know they know somebody that's really happening right now that no, but nobody knows who it is. And that's the way jazz guys are a lot of times too. Everything stays in the ground and the guys really have really hot, but one thing just just all underground or he's, he's touring with people a little bit or he's doing conducting work for so-and-so and uh it's it's heavy you know it's really kind of heavy you know you know but i i don't know you've done a lot of interviews with jazz people they're interesting people that's for sure <laughs> always <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i like about them and and, and, you know, they could be professor. A lot of people, wow, they're not really, he's a professor over here and stuff like that. I don't know. It, it, you know, when we're in the 70s, when we were young, you could do that. And, and mostly people went two years of college and then, bam, they, they started getting gigs and stuff like that. And there were very few people in academia that were doing gigs. But nowadays, you really have to have something somewhere, you know, to survive. And, and when it gets off season and the... Um, festivals close up now i i don't know but they'll, they'll figure out uh, i'm sure they'll figure out what to, what to do uh, i I, th- I would think some of them would and then their their lessons jesus they're all about uh, at least a hundred dollars an hour and well worth it too i mean 
to, to get a lesson from some of those guys would be intimidating, you know, and I'm real easy backstage with these bishops. I could talk to them and, and stuff like that, Paul. But, you know, when I run into evil Papazov or, or Masikowski from, from in New Orleans, you know, from he's he's from Astro Project, the guitarist, he came up and did, did a small workshop, this small workshop, but man, I'm not saying anything to the end, you know, I'm not asking a question if I could do anything. I just wait and wait and wait, you know, and then it's kind of, man, I, he's just he's scary, he's scary, you know, he's just so scary, man. How can you have one chord and just it sounds like you're going through 12 keys in, in your solo, you know, what, what is that? How do you do that and do it like smooth, like Mozart running through changes, you know, it's just so smooth and, and then evil Papazov, uh, the Bulgarian Romani clarinet player. I've never heard anybody stretch a clarinet. I mean, that far up and change the pitch. Nobody and nobody in New Orleans could could do that. I don't know how he does it. He's so scary. And the band is like thirty years, and they're all the best Bulgarian Romani musicians, and they've been together for thirty years, and they always do traditional weddings. They always go home and do do these Romani weddings, but out loud, man, it sounds like, oh, I would say, and he even mentioned them too. It's Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. That's the dynamics and the way the music just hits you and the musicianship, all of this stuff at once and some sort of music that you really, you don't quite understand. You know, they'll probably tell you, and they guys got the best cabal player, best accordion player, best, best everything. And then the drummer, it's, it sounds like Bulgarian Romani hit, hit, uh, Tony Williams' lifetime, to me, the first time I saw him, and, and I couldn't believe it. And they're still holding the dance. The Bulgarian Romani dance line or the Romani dance line is still going on. They're still doing all of this stuff, and they can bring that stuff into Romani music, Bulgarian Romani at least, you know. And, and they love Zydeco, <laughs> these guys. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> and particularly Zydeco particularly Zydeco, you know, like black Creole, Zydeco of this area, you know, and uh, meet, meeting some of those guys was really great over, overseas and meeting that band in Finland. That was just great because we, we, you know, nobody felt it at home. Finns are beautiful and Scandinavia is pretty, Norway's great. Finland's great. You know, then the way they play traditional music and then the way we play traditional music, but when we ran into each other, you know, getting lunch or whatever it was, but man, we just hit it off and you don't have to talk history. We both got a awful history. You don't have to talk about the incredible musicians, you know? So I don't know, maybe something adversity just kind of brings out musicianship like that, but it's something else too. You know, it's something else. It's just a knack for it. And then we're both playing traditional music inside of a, Northern European traditional music that are, you know, they don't, I mean, one word that you'll never hear is power and power in Zydeco and power in that Bulgarian dance music is, uh, is one, I, I, I don't think that, you know, it just has to be powerful because I think sometimes Zydeco bands will overlook that and there's too much volume and there's too much money spent on the sound system when, uh, just, you know, reading and writing and playing traditional, playing some traditional cycle and learning it would be 
would be great, you know, and they don't understand, some of them don't understand there's a traditional repertoire. And it's not very big either. It's not like Cajun. We're real lucky. It's not that huge repertoire. It's small, but it's in Creole, and there's no immersion for Creole, man. You just have to get in a situation with somebody that can speak Creole, and that can be that can be difficult. Some people live their whole lives. I know it. They live their whole lives, and they finally get old enough, and they get into retirement around here, some of these old, older black Creoles. And you want a job Cajuns, too. You get a job in retirement where the whole crew speaks French, and that's all you speak. <laughs> It's just, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It, it's just, it's just so beautiful, and it completely changes cultures. You know, both the and both the cultures are sympathetic to each other too, more more than people that don't speak French. Cajuns really do want to know more about Creoles, and they really are tired of hearing that everything is Cajun too. You know, <laughs> they really everybody hears that, and it's just not true. You know, it's just not they know. They know it's very, very few. They say, well, really, I'm, I'm Irish or German or I'm this or that, or I'm French, you know, or we were Belgium or whatever. And we just came into here, you know, while Acadians, it always gets tied into the Acadian, you know, Grand Enrochement. That just doesn't reflect the multiculturalism that came into South Louisiana, where people came from specific cultures and the African ones, too. They came from specific cultures and and um, they kept kept track this all came in and in new orleans it all went into to, to jazz you know you just go into it and how zydeco came out of cajun music i mean all musicians down here laugh about that because nobody's played any zydeco gigs <laughs> when they see something and it looks it's black and it is so african out here I don't understand, but they don't know, you know, that people lost touch with that, you know, they just lost touch. I don't think it's very good how they did. I, I think that's an awful history, but uh, they knew who their ancestors were in the beginning. And it's tied to in this whole area. I mean, it was 80% black in 1810. I mean, I don't know how it became all, okay. and there's no black Cajuns here. So that's part of my gig here. I guess I got to write this book but I've been researching it for so long, but it, it's easier to just do jazz and just scout these other things out. I've really got a good idea about what jazz is and I really don't have a definition <laughs> for it. You know, you, you get that training and, and then certain guys, you, you, everybody really thinks are, uh, you know, great jazz players. They're just, that's the epitome of jazz right there. And then change, you know, you hear hip hop and say, well, that's how you can't have a rapper inside of that. And you can pull up some Miles Davis tracks. It's all his fault. You know, that's that he did. You know, he brought all this stuff in and, and, uh, and it was jazz, you know, and it doesn't have to swing. And, you know, people think it has to swing and stuff like you got to know how to swing, but you can't swing. He can't swing good. I don't know how much of a jazz player he can be considered, but if you uh, taking standards that normally swing and breaking them down to where like Rancher did almost two decades ago with the whole album, those songs used to swing, but on the whole album, there is no swing rhythms on it. And the, the songs are just like taken apart and they're his compositions. They're just taken apart and deconstructed and, you don't hear a melody for 
one of them, you don't hear the melody for over way over two minutes, almost two and a half minutes where it comes in. And then the rhythms and the form, everything is, is just played with. But you got to have a band like Evo Papazo's band. You've got to been playing together for years doing live stuff and experimenting and experimenting and pushing the envelope. And then you get and you get a you get a jazz band, you know, you finally get a real jazz band, you know, and not just following charts and playing charts and doing doing this or playing in a band and being, you know, just sticking to what what your part is and, and what it is. There's no way to get if you get bored playing a tune in a jazz band, in a modern jazz band, that's your fault. That's your fault. You can really step out and do whatever you want. Hmm. Whatever you want. You can change the arrangement. You can you can take it and when it comes to whatever your solo is, you can change the key. You can do and and those are not new concepts. They've been around forever, you know, and you just have to kinda tune in and who's really great, like let's see, uh Remy Rosney up in Canada's piano players, he's incredible. And just uh you kind of I don't know, just names you really don't hear, you know. But the, but they're there, or guys that are working so much, you're just not going to see them. They're, they're New York players that uh, they'd like to do their own album, and they may have two or three, but actually they're in everybody's big band. They're in Vanguard big band. They're, they're in Wynton Marsalis' big band. They're, they're called for these sessions and they're running around doing it because they're obviously good readers and they can ad lib and they've got all that and then they have pop sessions too since they're so so good you know so it's wonderful it's really wonderful music and I do play a lot of traditional music I play a lot of traditional French music and French Creole music so much of it it's incredible so I, I know the two sides very well, and you really need to know that. Yeah, I, I, I think to have a jazz, to, to run a good jazz show, you know, for me, and you've got to have all that experience you're in, and you've got to know jazz players, and you've got to talk to them, you've got to be able to talk to them, and, 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 and try to do it, you know, interviewing them like you do. Well, man, that's, that can be, that's a scary thing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't know them too, you can, just can't know them well enough at the start of the interview to, you know, like really talk in depth, mm-hmm. it, it's hard it, because you really get tied up in the harmonic content, stuff like that, that, that you're really going to get tied up in. And, you know, in fact, I had a teacher at school of music came in, Garth Alper, he's a great piano player. He's got some, a couple albums out. He was great, incredible advisor. It was just great that he came in and immediately, I've had the show for a while and he immediately goes, well, I'm not going to do, you know. I know you, 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 you're bringing, trying to bring people in the community into jazz and stuff, and you know, B3 and all that, and just hot fusion and stuff. But I'm going to bring in this stuff, and I'm going to, I'm going to, going to talk in terms of harmony and and theory, like I, like I would do any other time. And it was like, yeah, sure, you know, and you know, if they, if they can keep up, fine. If they can't. That's that, you know, the jazz players will and the jazz people will. Most jazz people will, you know, and if you don't, you know, and people they criticize, you know, they're critical of jazz. I think you got to have a singer and this and that, and it has to be a song. And to have the 
you know, that that's their concept of what music is, you know, and they're talking about country music or they're talking about R and B or they're talking about specific music that they like. Well, that's great. You know, but this is, we're not doing things that we, you don't want to just play the things that you like. And I'm sure that comes out. It's, it's bound to come out. You know, I mean, I think I want happening tracks, no matter what it is, I want a happening track on it. And I'll play some interesting things, but I mean, you got to play or net, you got to play all these things. And some of them are are hard to listen to, Hmm. you know, but, but, but they're history. They're, they're, it's, it's history of jazz. It changed jazz. And you can't just talk about it and not play it. It just doesn't work. It's it's like talking about Clifton Chenier as the King of Zydeco, but then you don't play any Clifton Chenier tunes or you go, hey man, could you guys do two les temps en temps? And he goes, oh, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) Man, you know, what's it with you guys, young guys, man? Everybody knew that tune. Everybody knows that tune. You know, and Lucio, and I mean, you guys can do whatever you want. Hold your pants for, make your money. But if an old person comes up and they want Lucio or they want a French song, you you should, especially a Zydeco song, you should know it. Hmm. You should just know a version of it. There's so many different versions, one you like, you know, and do it in French tunes. Just, you know, go, go learn it, you know, ask Gino, you know, talk to Gino. He'll know if you need help with the words. He'll, he'll give you a hand. You know, you don't have anybody who speaks French. He will. He'll help you. He, he, he can tell you. And just learn the tune and, and, you know, improve yourself. Really, that's what it does. You can broaden your horizons and stuff like that, you know. And I'm always surprised at jazz players, real jazz players, how many standards they know right off the top of their head, you know, and tunes that hardly anybody plays. The best ones will know the tune. Oh yeah, <laughs> and right like that, you know, they know those. They know those tunes, and it's uh, it's pretty. It's amazing. You know, it's really amazing. I could never, I, I, I never reach that that kind of pinnacle at all. It was always, you know, bring a real book because we're just. Just not that many gigs. I'm not playing the same repertoire. I'm not in the same band, you know, where I can remember the work on the same tune. This is this band and this band pick up and this and this. And they, they have this repertoire, but they have that repertoire. And someone putting charts in front of you. And, yeah, you know, it's just what my life was, playing jazz, you know. So it's all right. It, it, it was in the right situation. It was learning. And I applied all that theory and harmony I got in L.A. with Spud Murphy and UCLA, and it, it worked out fine. But with a jazz show, you know, you really, you aren't a jazz player. You aren't playing. You aren't that. You serve a function. You're kind of alone in it. You're just kind of alone in what you do hmm. and how you do it in, in the jazz community. Probably you know, like interviewers and and interviewing is very difficult. I probably read every paper that came out of NPR from the people that interview there, you know, whenever I'd come up for an interview and talk with all kinds of people and then get, do them. And, you know, I'm okay. I, I don't, I'm okay, but I'm not very good. I'm not like you. I haven't done, oh, geez, you must have done hundreds of them, you know, and 
I don't know what, what, what you can be thinking in the back of your head of, of how you turn a interview around or how you can make it more interesting or, or what you do, what you have to do, what that process is, because I, I haven't done enough of them. I just haven't done enough of them to be able to do that. But it's a gift. It's not like spinning records. It's not like just having your show and being, uh, it would be great to be, you know, have a personality and, you know, playing 105 hits, you know, and then the people that are in radio, I'm sure, you know, and I know, you know, they've done, they've done classical. We've had to do classical. They've done jazz shows. They've done this They've pretty much uh, rock and roll or R and B and they don't quite meet in between, but you know, I, I, I like the meet in between and I know the guys that are pretty versatile, whatever the gig is, you know, and, and it calls for different rules and a jazz show calls for different rules. Mm-hmm. It just is. You really got to know who's on that session and who's played it. And that can take, especially with singers, they just won't put who's on the record. That's that. And you don't get who's in the, the orchestra at the time. And you need to know who was in on the recording and who was in the band at that time, uh, who was on the session and where to get, maybe you can get a discography or one thing I don't have is the union process. That'd be the last thing where who's on the union contract that, that, that did this session because there's just nothing, nobody from nowhere, you know, that, um, I think Carol Kay, she's still alive a little bit. She is, she can get, you know, stuff like that. You know, you just have to be big in the union and, and probably you can find, maybe you can find out if you find out who the leader was on the session, you know, and that's, that's really important. I mean, if you, if you don't, if you don't know, if you think it's, it's gotta be Ray Brown, you know, or it's gotta be Ron Carter. I'm not really good at my ear at, at guessing if it was Ron Carter or something, you know, some other bass players I kind of can, and you want to know. And then people were bass players. What bass players? You never heard of Dave Holland? Did you ever see Ray Brown live? Ray Brown's like, everybody listens to Ray Brown. Everybody. He 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 really made bass and the sound and the tone and everything. And then there's so many bass players nowadays that play players and jazz players that are so good. They're just they're just so good. But everybody likes. Dave Holland, and you wonder, well, what is this English guy? What the heck's he doing here in New York City and moved <laughs> here? <laughs> and, and then we have to go back and you think, well, wait, man, when in the 60s, this guy was like every jazz band that came to England got Dave Holland. And it didn't matter who you were, you get Dave Holland because he could do a gig. And when I saw him in Miles' band, and like, 70 or something or 71 jesus lord man this long-haired guy some guy named chick korea on keyboards and that's my brother and i were really young and some of our friends and we saw jack gage and that come out we knew it wasn't an opening act and then miles came out and everybody wants my funny valentine and stuff like that and he breaks into this stuff from bitches brew with what uh yeah was in the band I think the saxophones, Bill Hop, Bill Evans was with him at that time. I'm not sure, but um, man, they tore it up, man. They just, boy, that 
I liked it. You know, everybody, the, the young people really liked it, but the older people that came there to, they were expecting something much different, <laughs> much, <laughs> much, much different. You know, we didn't know who these guys were. I didn't know who Chick Corea was. If you were a session player, you'd know who he was. And he, he was on some recordings and he'd been out doing some stuff, but everybody knew who Jack Ditch and that was for sure. For sure. Well, with all these incredible recordings of jazz that have existed through the years, because you have, I mean, as as we've kind of been discussing here, jazz goes back. You've got more than 100 years worth of music here. Is there a process that you go through when you are picking the songs to play? How do you choose the songs that you play on Passport to Modern Jazz? I try and cover everything, which is impossible. You know, and I, I had an ad that was going where, you know, it was everything from New Orleans jazz to, to, uh, Sun Ra to B3. And I know the area loves B3. We got some great B3 players around here, but we got what we have here that no other station has or area is what somebody that, that they talk about. They talk and talk and talk, but nobody plays. Oh, we play all Louisiana music. They don't play any Bunk Johnson, and there's plenty of Bunk Johnson. So usually, and somebody complimented me on it too. We start with something from early 20s, try and find, or just some Bunk Johnson, and you keep kind of progressing. You get into some of the arrangements of the great Jelly Roll Morton, and you know, you just kind of progress through the air where jazz is changing. I haven't done it slow. It, it's kind of great to have a shock value, you know, where you can jump from this and and then go into uh, some, go from that to some Charlie Parker and then maybe some more net, you know, and just kind of do a history of jazz. And then in the last hour, get to all the least 20 minutes, you know, an hour of, of uh, new stuff or stuff from 2020. And there's still stuff from 2019 that was really good that I'm still trying to get to. And it played a little bit, but. The year is, is, is marching on, and there's, there's a few good things out, and you just have to listen to, to get new jazz and new stuff that does. You just have to listen to a lot of, a lot of different stuff and see if the CD is really happening to you, if it's talking to you, and what's that, and look at the Jazz Journalist Association and uh, get some of their reviews, especially some of the great reviewers that are there you know, heavyweight reviewers that, you know, if they decide to even look at your album, that's great. If you're new, whoa, look out, that's incredible. And do some of that. So run through the history, run through it kind of chronologically, you know, as you start. And sometimes it's good to just jump from one and then jump to the other and then get into some world fusion too. Like, uh, band, uh, I've been wanting to play forever and finally got it into this show. The Sons of Kemet out of London and Shabaka Hutchins is, uh, runs, runs that band. He's had a pretty good jazz recording career, but it's not the kind of jazz we listen to. And it's not got these black influences. He pulled the ones from London because he said he's not from here and jazz is something else. So they, they pull from, all the people that came in of the islands, they pull in some, some African stuff, they pull in from that and what their black roots are of London. And then, you know, you, you keep 
moving across and go into like Rudres Mahantapa and uh, Reza Bazi, I love, man. He's an incredible guitar player. So people say, well, is that really jazz? You know, what is this? <laughs> you know, it sounds more like world or fusion or something. Man. It's, like, it's jazz. It's, this, guy, this guy knows so many jazz fusion tunes and even came out with an acoustic album of jazz fusion. You know, what a mind-blowing concept. You know, who would even put money into that? But he did it and it was very successful. And he plays with a lot of different Persian people. And he's just, you know, from L.A. and, and DJ Iyer. So all these guys that, that have Carnactic and Persian and, and roots like that, you know, all we, all we ever had really was, you know, some Indian and, and uh, John McLaughlin and people, people who were influenced and listened to stuff, but not people who were trained in Carnactic music. And then to have that training and then come into it and go into jazz and live in New York, actually be good, great jazz players. And there's people from Jamaica, there's, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, of people. So the world fusion is probably one of the most interesting. And it can be electric. You, know, you don't have to fuse it with horror or anything like that. And that's really interesting, too. So then you try and pull all these things together. And like I pulled, I did, uh, this show coming up is going to be, I like all our funk shows on KRBS. Uh, and I like that. And I just, I, I'm always sending a shout out to them. And, you know, it is great. It's just great. And Louisiana Records, Funky Records, R&B Records, their, their show is focused on. And so I wanted to do that. And I had like four hours of stuff. I only got a two-hour show. <laughs> and, you know, you just got to start pulling stuff out. And I, I, I've got close to two hours that, that are just left that I just couldn't get. And I would just keep pulling stuff out, leaving other things out, and just keep pulling it together, you know. And I never, let's see, what don't I have? I couldn't find any boogaloo, you know. And it would be great to have something from the boogaloo era and jazz. Above. I guess that would be... Uh, pop and, and post-bop, but, you know, stuff's funky, you know, and, and it's funky. You can have it in jazz, and you can still have some changes and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of, you have these themes, so, and the themes are always running, and you, and there's, I don't know how many combinations. You can run instruments, you can run forms, you can run, what do they call it? They don't call it big band anymore. It's like the large ensemble, progressive large ensembles. You can just, uh, run things like that and then and then you know you just like oh man i love weather report and then you can do an all you know like almost an hour weather report and that stuff's always good that is just it's just great it's just it's just so good and joe zalanoff is the only one that could take all these electric keyboards and bring them into jazz and bring them into modern jazz and a lot of people won't give him credit but he knew his standards he played <laughs> He played with Cannonball Adderley for a long time, and then Cannonball Adderley, one of the best alto players there ever was in modern jazz. And when he decided to do his thing, and with Wayne Shorter doing a lot of writing for for band too, I mean, I mean, there's just too many choices in jazz, and trying to focus it and kind of keep it kind of disciplined too. You just can't. Well, I can be kind of this and kind of be that. You want to keep some sort of form. You know, like you got a Polish avant-garde theater piece, you know, there's always something holding it together. 
You know, it just can't be something off the top of your mind in, in college when you were young and, and you didn't have some something with glue holding it together. And something needs to kind of hold it together. And I always heard that on jazz shows. You know, when I was listening to guys, they would do, and I was always wondering what the theme was. You know, one time it was trombones, and I, I, I didn't I didn't even notice it. You know, but that's a theme. You know, a great trombone or great modern trombonist, you know, or or Latin or there's just so many others that it's always hard. And when once it comes in, a two hour show is really hard to do. It would be a lot easier if it was every day for an hour and then I could probably get to more current CDs and things like that. But that would have been boy, it, there'd be more listening. You'd have to listen. Kind of like putting things on and without kind of listening to them and, and at least a little bit and deciding if this is a great track that will fit the show that's that's dynamic and is happening and, and keeps within that jazz, you know, kind of kind of perspective or takes another perspective. It can be rhythm. It can be stuff like that. It can be pocket. It can be things like that that, that are really nice too in jazz a lot of sometimes players don't really like that they're really into the harmony and stuff like that you know but all of these things come that's not for me to decide i just have to i have to play the stuff you know and every once in a while you gotta play miles runs of voodoo down or bitches voodoo or something you know because it just changed and those are long tracks those are long long tracks so that eats up some of the show so it's always kind of, you know, it's just kind of a weigh things against what's going on. I guess right now what I'm weighing is current jazz and looking at all the current jazz. And I keep thinking like for my jazz, for my listeners, and especially the jazz listeners, just have some, have more current stuff for the next show, at least for the next show. One time there was so much current stuff coming out. Oh my God, it was, it was, uh, it was just overwhelming and at, at a point kind of, you know, just starting to drop off just a little bit. And it's like, wow, man, I need a break. This is it. And it's, and it's too much money too, because you got to buy all this stuff too. So I was wondering what to do. And I just did a Ray Brown show. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was great. And I went to, and you see, they don't know, you know, but if you talk to the, that side of co players, you go, Hey man, what's your favorite Ray Brown, you know, track? And you know, the guy with Dino, you know, he's going, Oh, let me think, let me think, let me think. Other guys, they can, they can kind of know right away. He says, I got, I got a track. I, I just, I just got to remember, you know, and instead of, I don't know, what was it? Portland Blues Festival. And, you know, when you're talking to good people like Ray Allen Zeno or, or uh, somebody like that, or, or uh, Chuck Bush, you know, with with um, Bo Jacques forever and uh, cats like that, man, they know. They 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 just, they really do know. So you can kind of, I, I had a really great show, you know, it came out. I, I found some things too, but there's more than two hours worth of jazz and his, his history, you know, he's married to El Fitzgerald, and he was an incredible businessman, too. So uh, some of those stories are great. And he kept playing till I don't know, but he influenced everybody. And nobody has a better sound. And he used to practice like eight hours a day. 
man, he was on top. That's it, man. There's only one way to do it. And I guess he realized that and just did it and ran with, with the trio. Oh, my God, man. They, they they played so much that it's pretty amazing. It's really amazing. You hear these people, jazz players in particular. You know, other people, you hear them, and they're really good, and it is incredible, and and uh, it's some fantastic playing. But some of this stuff is just super human, how they do things like that. It doesn't appear like they're doing anything. Like Jack Day Jeanette, it, it appears he's doing nothing. You know, he never breaks a sweat. It doesn't seem like, and he is really great and he makes everybody in the band comfortable you know and i just caught on to that and i loved his fusion band he had one of the best in the 80s it was it was he called in some great players wrote some great tunes for that one so so it's really difficult i'm glad you asked me that i need to let (laughs) that out paul You know, something you mentioned at the beginning of the show when when I was asking you about the the greater purpose is you mentioned food. And uh, two of the greatest exports from Louisiana, there's so many things, great things that come from Louisiana, music, but also food. So I'm hoping you can tell the listeners out there, where is the best place to eat in Louisiana? Oh, gee, you need to get whatever that an app is. To, to 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 find out. I mean, if you get to the Lafayette area, you really need an app like that. So if you're looking for the best boudin or the best gumbo or etouffee or crawfish or anything, you need to put it in because somebody won, you know, for the year or the month or something like that. And you need you need to check it out. I mean, for boudin, pochets, and best market are always always very excellent. And then places that I think I'm always pushing is Opelousas. And Opelousas is, it's not a rich town like it used to be when it was the center, but Opelousas is like always been Creole, the homicidal call, very black, and the food is killer. You can go into gas station, you know, local, little local gas station, one that pulled in once with, with Jeffrey, and we all had like, I think it was chicken, this fried chicken for lunch. Oh my God, man, that's the best fried chicken I've ever had. And then seafood stuff comes real funky basket. The place is real funky, but whoa, man, the food is just killer. And so all these places around, you know, a lot of times I end up going to the closest place or the place where I used to work for me and Bill, they make a, uh, a gumbo. That's just how the area eats gumbo. You know, it's not that much rue in it and it just has you need a great smoked sausage and you need some chicken and that's all you need all the rest of the stuff that you think you need in the gumbo you don't need that you're not making seafood gumbo you're just making that and that that's what a gumbo for the weekend it doesn't cost much you just have onions and bell pepper and stuff but you need to make a dark roux. you can buy them in jars but knowing how to make one is another thing it's kind of an art to it where definitely get that's something that'll take a high heat of oil and then flour doesn't really some white flour and then just cook it, cook it, cook it, cook it. Don't leave it. Don't leave it. Put it in some iron. If you have it, uh, iron pot, that's the best. And then put it in the oven and maybe 350 and keep whisking it or stirring it, alternating it until it gets a reddish, dark, dark, dark brown, almost black like the skillet, and you've got a roux. 
And then for a gallon, I wouldn't say you could put three tablespoons of roux, four tablespoons of roux. That's about all you're going to have, but it will take it up. And, you know, it, there was always okra in it. So, I mean, you, I always put a handful of okra, but it's usually like a token thing. There is an okra shrimp gumbo with no roux, and that's probably the recipe from Senegal that everybody makes a gumbo out of in, in the, I know, French Antilles, everybody, all of us make it. You know, that just wasn't the was that came from Senegal long time ago. And when you're in New Orleans, that's a more upper class cooking. There's more money. All the chefs are mostly trained. I mean, everybody and everybody has a French cooking, a little bit of French cooking professionally around here, too. You need to know if you don't have this and you don't have that, where do you fall into it? And I see that they fall into cooking techniques of Southern France where you just take this and you take that and you, you know, you do cook in your area the way it is. And, and it can be difficult, but any of the top places in New Orleans, uh, whatever's open now after this SARS-CoV-2 little thing is closed down a lot of places, but you know, any of the big, those, those are always great. Getting out here is, is different. And you may end up driving 20 miles out in the country or somewhere for that, for cracklings or boudin or whatever you, whatever you like, but uh, real fancy food. This is everybody out here is very country oriented, and and the best gumbo you're not going to get in a restaurant is probably just because they're probably use uh, a old hen or something like that, and you you won't be able to get like uh, see, oh you know like go cabri. If you can get it, and then there's a red boudin that's basically against the law. That's very, very good, and it's very rich, it's very, very rich. So it's uh, it's just so much stuff out here, and a lot of it is just French cooking. Like what's the what's the name? It's like a a stuffed stomach, you know. And you can have a cow, or you can have a a chaudan, a pig. And uh, it's like a sausage, but it's 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 stuffed, and then it's it's like cooked like a roast, and then sliced, and the gravy. You can't eat much. I'll tell you, Paul. It, it is so rich, <laughs> but all that stuff is out here. Cracklings you want to get right when they're cooked, and they're still kind of runny inside, and they're nice and spicy. Those are really those are really good, but uh, and those have gone up. Those are very expensive now, and. It only takes like a quarter bag, but a quarter pound of a bag. But they're very good. It's, it's just really good. It's just a lot of Korean. It's just everything that it keeps getting pushed. Like anything that was Creole just gets pushed to the side. Well, this is all Cajun. Well, this is all Cajun. So it's like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, I'm in the Creole community. You know, the Cajun, you know, black Cajuns out here and everything's Creole. You know, well, that's not true. Oh, it's like, what do you say? You brought this from, because it always goes into Nova Scotia and, and Acadie, old Acadie. And I said, you you telling me that you brought this? Say, you ever been up there? I was on tour. I went to there. You don't cook like this, and they don't know how to dance. But where do you think this came from? You know? And y'all didn't get here till the 1760s anyway. You know? But you won't, you deny, you know, black Creoles, any kind of thing out here. I don't understand it at all. I really don't want to think too deep about it because it only says one thing, you know, but the older French speaking Cajuns that I know, they're on, they, they, 
they're on our side. Most French-speaking people, they're on our side. They understand French culture and how they're all really different and how down here, it's much like the Antilles. It's more like the Antilles than ever was about Canada. You know, it's got, now it's just way too many black people. It is way too many. And for too long, I think 1732, black people outnumbered everybody. Everybody spoke French, no English. Out here in Acadie, in Acadiana, it was 1810 census, it was 80% black. I guess you could just say, wow, you know, they were slaves or something like this. It's like, that may be, but concepts have changed, you know, we're, we're learning. Well, these are people too. <laughs> you you want to be, talk about humanity. It's like, what, you want to take away their rights as people? That, that's, that's just. That's them. Those people back then, and we don't understand these uh, the two crowns, you know, what they were doing to all these people and what they thought. Have no idea. We can't understand it. And the French that come into here, they feel guilty about it. They feel it's their fault. You know, they colonized all this stuff and started it, but it's really got very little to do with uh, a lot of them, you know. I mean, if they, they're straight up about it, you know, uh, and the people here, they don't know anything about it at all. You know, they're just looking about how that the, most of the population all the time until the Civil War were slaves. The biggest part of the population was slaves. They outnumbered everybody. And see people of color that they like to talk about, there weren't that many. So where's the Zydeco music coming from? Well, let's see. The three people of color... They're probably in the plantation and they're doing a little cadre and they're trying to get along and, you know, maybe get a step up. But the real music and dance, and it was always dance. It's always connected to dance in the, the African form of music, of, of dance, drum, song. Not melody, variation, all that, those your Western concepts. There's always dance with it. And the dance will kill you. They're dancing, watching the dance floor, and the dance floor is always evolving. It's always evolving. The next step, the next thing, just like West Africa. It is so African. And the food goes with it, too. <laughs> the, food, the food is just killer. It's just killer. And a lot of it, it's got to do with black people. They don't have anything to do with Cajun. They think it, 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 it does, but that's just... I don't know, some Lafayette Toys Bureau thought, you know, it's, it's really funny, really funny in the uh, beginning with Codafield. So, you know, they want to have some politics and stuff like that. But I think we got a great time in this country for people out here in this area. We can unite. We want America and we want English who are French. And everybody, everybody is pretty much on par. If you speak French, you speak French. That's what keeps us together. Black and white, well, then we go to different churches and different schools and stuff like that. And tastes really change. Tastes can really change. And the taste and menu will really change too. But, and putting tomatoes in it, and that makes it Creole like in New Orleans. It's just some jive talk. I don't know who says that. You know, I've never heard it, but people in this area say that and they try and explain what Creole is. So Creole is black. Creole is black. And I don't know why people want to avoid that. You know, even if you got a little bit like me, it still affected your whole family where you went to school, 
what church you went to, people you saw, the people in your family, where they lived, you know, college, uh, little little struggles that weren't that really that hard. I mean, you know, you were in the hood and tied down like Compton or something like or out to you, it's like some of my cousins, but you were, uh, you know, you, you would hit it. You, you'd hit something, man. It, it'd be always, you know, or, or you know, some guy came in, older, white, and told me that Christian Chanel got Zydeco some Pazale from doing Baltimore's version And Zydeco some Pazale is an old Jude, a call and response in Creole, Louisiana Creole. That yes goes back. It probably goes back to the 18th century, some form of it. But dance, call and response, how the rhythms are, who's got the influential rhythm that's come in from West Africa or, or Congo. All of these like contribute here, and it makes it very interesting, and makes makes it even you wonder. Well, yeah, jazz could have come from me. <laughs> It could have really started here. And I know St. Louis and Memphis and all these other places and everybody around the world playing rags. But, you know, there's there's just uh, something for the people and the history and the mix that is set up with people where where you have people that have to understand each other. And you're always culturally probably insulting each other in some way, you know, Native American or black or black, but one's. Muslim and the other's Catholic or the other's Jewish, black Jewish or something like that, or uh, one's Canadian and a, and a fur trapper or uh, just these different things that you'll see in big cities like Bangkok where, you know, it, it's just so, such a mix of people where you're culturally, you, you can't help these, these little insults that will happen. And it's like working with my friend in the beginning, um, Jules Guidry at Vermillionville. They used, they put us together, so you had a Cajun and you had a Creole, and you could break down both musics. Kind of okay, but you know, we I'm sure at the end of the day, we just kind of brushed ourselves off, and the music was most important, and people knowing the difference, and this and that was important too. But you know, we don't our politics <laughs> way, 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 way way extreme we have that extreme ends but you know we can be friends and that's what i always see in this area hmm. this is possible here other parts of the country i don't think so because they're either it's kind of myopic or something like that the word would, would be like on the west coast we just kind of want to stay away from these cultural and ethnic kind of moral mores of different people and wow on tour and you're traveling that can that can actually help you and save your life and if you speak another language and you go to scandinavia and you know the difference that you know everybody isn't swedish and everybody's different and the different parts of germany and the different parts of france you know don't 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 get marseille marseille people mix up with french with paris paris people man that don't don't even think that just because they're big people marseille goes back really far all these people and what they bring to it and Iranian musicians are so good. Oh, I feel bad for them and the classical musicians and just people around the world. And then, you know, walking into Thailand, we'll never be, we'll never have that kind of Buddhist humility that they have. Never. 
never American. We're Americans. You just can't do it. And and uh, just living in other things and just accepting that. You and I do. You, we're Americans. You know, uh, I'm not. But you know, when you go in, you can take a perspective and respect the culture that you're in, so that you see it when you get to Paris. Don't just get the Eiffel Tower out of the way. And, and that's what it is. But then there's other places to go. There's incredible food to eat. There's all kinds of things to do, you know, and pick up on this culture and then leave that. That's just a big city, you know, leave it. You know, you got to get to to some of the outer skirts of some of the really interesting places in Marseille, you know, Bordeaux, Southern France. There's all kinds of different interesting. So being a touring musician for a while, it was, it was just like 30 years, but I always appreciate it. And I really didn't have anybody to talk to except my brother, Tony. There's a few musicians once in a while that came in that appreciated that, you know, and the different culture they were in and taking it and eating food and stuff like that. But usually you get on the phone and, and uh, talk what we were talking last time. Oh, who is the best? Uh, Hawks. You know, and I lived in Poland for about five five months, and I was sure that that was the one. But he found some in Germany, and he thinks so it's good. And then when when Couscous came to Paris, oh my God, we both eaten there, but we we were in different bands. So I mean, we weren't playing, but these two places, man, they were so good. And then there was another one in Lausanne, and then they tried to bring them into New York City. Jesus said two first ones. Talk about a bunch of hippies. I don't believe it. Just you know, we walked out of the place. Place came, and this isn't couscous. You know, just get up and leave. And I think he had to help bring somebody in. You know, and just appreciate that. And it's got a lot to say about my mom and dad. You know, where they just didn't let us. You know, sit around and just live in the hood, and you know, grow up and go to church and just around Catholic and stuff. You you have to know these different cultures, so you're going to dance here and then you're going to be in this play and you're going to be in that and you know they were both musicians and very culturally astute with good albums and stuff like that and you you pass that on to your kids you know and there's eight of us and i'm the oldest so it's they had their hands full i don't know how they did it but they they did they did they got made sure everybody had an instrument and at five you have to play classical instrument that's a jazz tradition in new orleans you know you learn you learn technique and music and stuff like that first. You have to learn that, you know, and it's just a form of discipline. You know, they love that. Creoles and Creole Catholics, you know, discipline. The kids need that. And it, it, that's how you, you practice and you learn. And it helps you. It helps you get good grades. And they just need So, you know, they just instilled this in us. It makes good. And it makes for great jazz. You know, especially when you get the world jazz. It's great because you understand everybody brings in something a little bit different and you want to hear that, you know, you want to hear Shabaka Hutchins and how they see their black roots coming out of London and England, you know, they're not American. They're not from Chicago, you know, that's just really interesting. And so you hear more like that in the musicians that they, they really listen to and some South Africans and just a lot of things. And it's great. And then while I'm here in South Louisiana, Oh, Lord, there's so much culture here. I mean, it's kind of an insult just to call it all Cajun because it's just not. It's just these variable things that people just put under this big, big, big 
banner that they don't want to understand and the rest of the country gets kind of myopic too and they're just saying well you know when you say that you're just saying that it's all white french a lot of people down here things are either taken and they can have those kind of roots or they're going to be creole and that's a black creole and they're going to be that and things have change french changes all around the state in south louisiana so of course in new orleans it's the oldest area Food's going to be a little bit different than when you get over to here. But then food's going to be different in St. Martinville, Lafayette, Opelousas. It's going to be different in Bow Bridge. It'll be different in Scott and places around there in Abbeville when you get out. Then Lake Charles, it just changes because that's the way the culture's just always been. And the food's always been. But you can put it under this big thing and then people don't have to you know, oh, Lord, I can't, my mind is freezing or something. I don't know when people that speak French around here, they always kind of think it's pretty interesting. You know, like the best people that spoke French in the state of Louisiana were the Homa people. And that's why they aren't recognized by the federal government. They want them to speak their original language. And they haven't spoke their original language since French came in, you know, and, and they speak great French. They speak great French, so it's such a complex culture, right? It's really kind of insulting. You just kind of just throw it under a Cajun banner like that, you know? But you have to come down here and see that in here, and you can refuse to hear it if, you if you know, people would come into Vermillionville and you tell them the story of that and the story of the Creoles and Louisiana and this and that. And sometimes, you know, every once in a while, they don't want to hear. French people are impressed. Because they already know everything about here. You know, they've been listening. Everything's Cajun. And this is French. This is French. This is French. This is from West Africa. This is, you know, and it's like, nah, I said, well, we made this. You know, and this is the Indians, you know. This <laughs> is like, you know, we just came together and we didn't kill each other. And we all kind of applied the little things and the best things. And the thing is, we knew. Creoles and, and Cajuns alike and people in New Orleans, what's the best thing to do? What's the best thing? How do you do this? How, how do you frame this house the best in South Louisiana? What materials do you use in this kind of landscape? What grows best? What is it? And a lot of answers the Africans have, but they need the climate and all of that. So it's really interesting, but it, it's kind of a shame the rest of the country, you know, and then a lot of the restaurants here, they're just falling into what is just Cajun food, you know, but that's just the name. So you kind of get out of any kind of argument, but when I'm in Popeye's Cajun rice, I have no idea what it is. That sounds so funny. You know, there's no rice up in Akadi. Rice came from Africa and nobody knew what it, you know, at first people except the Africans knew what it was and dirty rice Dirty Rice is the New Orleans brand of uh, rice dressing. That's what they call it. In Seven Ward and downtown, it's Dirty Rice. And it's a specific recipe. It's got more chicken liver in it. And when I go get the Popeyes, I can't, I'll be cracking up. I just say, if I'm out on the road, yeah, I want, you know, this and, and some Dirty Rice on the side. It's a red bean. And I'll tell you, if they're black and they work, they laugh because they know. They know they heard this before, and uh, the arguments that get set up by it. Some of them, if not, you know, you're just not informed. You're just not informed, you know, about, about uh, what. And and I I don't 
I, I don't blame you, but if you're in the restaurant working at it, you got to understand <laughs> there's some things that go on down here that, and they've been going on for centuries, but you just have to understand. And you have to take it like the Africans do. You have to take this stuff with not a grain of salt. I mean, you want to keep working towards it, but you don't laugh. You know, people think they had it hard. <laughs> Let me see. I think the imports between 1719 and 1726 here, 6,000 Africans left enslaved on boats and only 2,000 made it. That's mm-hmm. the kind of thing. It's like, Lord have mercy. That's a, <laughs> so horrendous. It's just so horrendous. It's mind boggling. You don't want to hear that. So, oh, we, we were thrown out of our homes and we had to get out of here and you know, the wives and the husbands had to say goodbye and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's something to hear, but a lot of older cases, they really uh, understand that, you know, and they're not going to get, no, I have to be paid. Just play this, just play that. No, you know, they like the Zydeco. They like to hear songs in, in Creole once in a while. They like the full, our full culture down here. It, it, it's uh, amazing. It's like this monster that nobody wants to, you know, they, if they try to understand it for real, they, they, they'd uh, realize, like, I guess you got to be academic or something, you know, how, how huge and how beautiful that is, you know, and how there'll always be these kind of classes, you know, family, African ethnicities that people, you know, different people have. But who, 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 as Creole, still rides uh, uh, a horse? Who, who's been in Zydeco for like three, four generations of family people? Oh, the biggest one for me is because I could speak French and a little Creole, but the first language French speakers. How many I have? I have a few friends that are, you know, and in white community, it's a little bit different. You know, that's always the school and having to write a hundred lines and things like that. And, and learning, learning as well in the black community, there were no schools. People were trying to learn, I believe, were trying to learn English, but there really was nowhere to do it. The schools, some people were lucky enough that they had schools and they were able to go to school and they didn't have to work. But actually, you're just kind of limited to where you speak only French till you're about eight years old. And a friend of mine like that, and he never speak French, but we were out on the road and he just got drunk. And his, I knew he always speak Creole. I mean, I could hear that, but his French was perfect. It's just perfect. It's like your French can only be that good and have all the little nuances if that's all you speak for a while. That's his first language. That's how he grew up. I have a lot of Cajun friends, but I have a lot of black friends, a lot of Cajuns and things. Black people spoke, but they don't speak to them. <laughs> it's it. If, if that's the way you feel, you know, so. I just want to thank you for doing this interview. Mm-hmm. It's been a great pleasure. Oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, man. I've been just doing the show and running around and dealing with it like everybody else, you know, and trying to contact checks and figure out what I'm going to do. And I appreciate it. And My pleasure. I know you didn't say much. You're <laughs> a really great interviewer. Well, thank you, sir. You got me going, and you didn't say a word, hardly. (laughs) Well, everyone out there, they can visit krvs.org. And again, Mr. Garnier, thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Have a good one. And you too. 
Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.